Welcome to Nutrition for Mortals, the podcast that says life is too damn short to spend your time and attention worrying about your food choices. So let's take a deep breath and then join us, two registered dietitians and friends, as we explore the world of nutrition with a special focus on cultivating a healthy and peaceful relationship with food. My name is Matt Priven, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and the best dietitian on planet Earth, Jen Baum. Hey, Jen. Hey, Matt. And just a couple quick reminders. If you are enjoying the show, you can consider supporting us on Patreon, where we do extra bonus episodes. You can always email us with show ideas at nutritionformortals at gmail.com. And we are on Instagram if you'd like to follow us there. So Matt, what are we talking about today? So today we are talking about coffee. Yay! I love coffee. Who doesn't love coffee? Jeez, this is like the best topic on earth. Well, I think anybody who knows me knows that I absolutely adore coffee. I always start my morning with a cup of coffee. And so when you told me we were going to be talking about coffee, I was just like jumping for joy. And anyone who knows me knows I'm an insufferable snob about light roast coffees. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to keep that out of today's topic. So I think we should probably set this episode up a little bit, Matt, because this is actually our first two-part episode. And so can you talk a little bit about, I guess, maybe why this is a two-part episode and what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, well, originally I wanted to do a deep dive into the healthfulness of coffee, kind of more our typical format there are so many health claims out there about coffee, right? It's it's dehydrating. It's bad for your bones. It, it messes up your cortisol levels. It stunts your growth, you know, so on and so on. And we will get to those claims, but in our next episode. Okay. Okay. And so it sounds like maybe some of the debunking that we tend to do will happen next time, but maybe talk a little bit about what we'll be talking about today. Yeah. So in reading about these health claims... I found a little known story that I have to talk about today. And I think it's going to take a whole episode to talk about. And I think it's really important that we share this. So I think knowing the story kind of forever changes how at least I think about coffee health claims and our collective sort of biases around coffee when it comes to health. And I realized there's like anti-coffee forces out there that have deep roots in our culture and have influenced us in ways we kind of don't even realize. So today, we're going to be talking about the coffee wars. Oh, wow. (laughs) Matt, did you have... Matt, did you have so much fun cutting that together? The Star Wars theme music and someone pouring a cup of coffee? (laughs) I did. I did. I had to immediately show my wife what I made. I was so excited. (laughs) Should we just end the episode now that you've gotten that clip out? (laughs) Well, no, we have so much story to tell and I'm excited for this episode. This is a really cool story. I think people are going to like learning about this. Okay. So where do we jump in? So, Jen, do you remember in our recent episode about gut cleanses, we met a man named John Harvey Kellogg? Oh, yeah, I remember this guy. This is the guy who invented breakfast cereals to help people, quote unquote, detoxify their guts. He is the one who was 
Wasn't he giving people yogurt enemas? Yep, yep, that's the dude. Oh. Yep, yogurt enemas guy. Okay, so we're back to yogurt enemas, sadly. But he was also the one, too, who, you know, he was a bad dude, right? Like, he was into yep. eugenics. And, I mean, you had to do a whole disclaimer because this guy is, like, bad news. Yeah, he had some seriously problematic tendencies, but he's back today. We're actually not going to talk about enemas, thankfully, today. And we're not going to get really into the terribleness of who he was. But there's an aspect of his life that really influenced our collective understanding of coffee when it comes to health. So we have to talk about John Harvey Kellogg again. Okay. All right. And so let's, I guess, let's let's jump into what we're going to start with his life, his feelings about coffee. So to tell the story, we need to go back in time to the year 1891, and the place is Battle Creek, Michigan. And I, I do happen to have that time machine handy. If it, <laughs> I think we'll just use it once today, if that's okay with you, and then we'll find our way back home some other way. Sure, let's go. Okay, here we are, 1891. We're in southern Michigan, about 100 miles west of Detroit in a city called Battle Creek. Beautiful Battle Creek. And we're back at the Battle Creek Sanitarium run by this eccentric and extremely problematic figure, John Harvey Kellogg. Now, the name Sanitarium is just an old-timey way of saying hospital. It's usually a specialized hospital that's focused on like a specific ailment. They were usually a place you could go to like get out of the city, go to the countryside, do some relaxing. And I took you here for a very specific reason. And I I promise you this has a lot to do with coffee. Okay. (laughs) So John Harvey Kellogg had a lot of strong opinions about food and beverages. Much of this was owing to him being raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church which I don't, I don't know if you're aware, has some pretty strong beliefs about what we consume, namely that meat, certain spices, alcohol, chocolate, tea, and coffee are considered harmful and their use was like seriously discouraged. Yeah, I think I've heard this before, like very kind of similar. I mean, we discussed the Mormon religion very, very briefly, but this is very similar in terms of lots of rules around what's okay or not okay to put into your body. Yep. And similar food restrictions. There's a lot of crossover here. And so, Jen, I'll actually ask you to read an excerpt from a book called Coffee Land by Augustine Sedgwick to kind of set the scene a little more. Okay. It says, quote, Kellogg was a dedicated opponent of coffee, which he identified, along with tea, as a grave menace to the health of the American people. The larger fear behind the American epidemic of neurasthenia was that the nation itself was getting weaker. Kellogg considered coffee an addiction that was sucking Americans' vitality right out of them, leading to premature old age. For breakfast, Kellogg's sanitarium served his own patented cereal blends and what he called caramel coffee, made from bread crusts, bran, and molasses. Oh no, caramel (laughs) coffee. Not coffee at all. Coffee's in the name, but it is just basically like roasted grains and molasses mixed together in drink form. Bread crusts? Where they would just like soak bread crusts in molasses? Yeah, basically. Uh, you know, mix it with some bran, roast it, and then powder it, and then you turn it into a drink. 
Okay. So yeah, no, his opinions around coffee are pretty clear. I mean, this is a a very anti-coffee stance that he's taking. But can we go back to that word neurasthenia? What does that mean? Yeah. So Kellogg believed that coffee can induce neurasthenia. So yeah, what does that mean? So I think it's a pretty interesting kind of old timey diagnosis, you know, like the vapors, Mm. like in the 1800s, 1900s, it was diagnosed a lot. But basically, it's this catch all diagnosis for, you know, when somebody has a whole host of symptoms like anxiety, depression, fatigue, high blood pressure, heart palpitations. And, you know, it was often given to people in like high power urban jobs. So it's kind of like, you you know, what we might call like burnout today. Mm. And it was given the nickname Americanitis because it was more common in Americans. And so it was kind of this like, you know, fried nervous system where you were feeling a lot of anxiety and depression. I think we would think about it very differently today as a mental health diagnosis, but it was called neurasthenia at the time. And so did Kellogg believe that drinking coffee contributed to neurasthenia? Yes, exactly. He thought coffee was a major driver of neurasthenia, made it worse, or maybe he thought it was the actual underlying cause for it. So yeah, he he tied that directly to coffee drinking. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. And so it sounds like one of his big, like part of his anti-coffee stance was that it was contributing, you know, almost to this like epidemic, like of Americanitis, where people were starting to have all of these symptoms, at least partially as a consequence of drinking so much coffee. Yeah, totally, totally. Other people had different theories on what caused neurasthenia. I have to comment on Sigmund Freud, who believed that neurasthenia resulted from non-completed coitus. Oh, no, Matt, no. (laughs) Yeah, he he was very upset that the pull-out method was being used. He thought that that poisoned men and led to neurasthenia, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, that's like another explicit podcast episode. (laughs) Okay, so back to coffee. So We pick up with Kellogg here. Again, it's 1891. He's running his sanitarium and a new patient checks in with a diagnosis of neurasthenia. And this person would ultimately have a profound impact on our food culture to this day. His name is Charles William Post or C.W. Post. Is this like the post of the post cereals? This is the post (gasps) of the post cereals. Wow, we got like serial wars happening too. We got Kellogg, we got Post. I mean, this is so interesting. So Post was actually a patient of Kellogg? Yes. He arrived at the sanitarium. Apparently he was sickly. He was described as emaciated, but wearing a big white Stetson cowboy hat. He was being pushed in a wheelchair by his wife, Ella Letitia Merriweather. And it sounds like he was deeply depressed from all accounts. So kind of in a bad way when he arrives at the Battle Creek Sanitarium under Kellogg's care. That's fascinating. So prior to arriving in Battle Creek, Post had worked in a number of industries. He didn't really find success or happiness in any one of them. And it sounds like he was prone to some pretty significant mental health challenges that were often referred to at the time as just breakdowns. And he had a lot of different methods he had tried to heal himself up until this point. You know, there was reports of him taking like trips to sea and, you know, doing special diets and enemas was one of them, but nothing was working sufficiently. So finally, in 1891, he goes, all right, I'm going to this famous Battle Creek Sanitarium and see what Kellogg has to offer. Okay, interesting. And what happened when he got there? What happened when Kellogg started treating him? Well, ultimately, he spent nine months staying at the sanitarium, trying to relax, attending lectures about health, and of course, he ate all the food there. 
And much of the food were items that Kellogg had created. He was really like a, a pioneer in food manufacturing. And a lot of those foods were really based on the Seventh-day Adventist thinking about, you know, which foods are good and which weren't. So naturally, Post had a chance to try Kellogg's caramel coffee, which was this coffee alternative made from wheat, bran, molasses. And he even got to try an instant brew that Kellogg was working on at the time called Minute Brew. Mm. And so, Jen, I'm going to have you read again, this time from an amazing book from 1957 called The Cornflake Crusades. Could you please read here? It says, quote, Post is remembered as a melancholy rumor at the house where he boarded, lying wanly on the lawn under summer shade. The treatment given him at the San was an absolute failure, according to his own estimate, which may have marked the beginning of his antipathy to Kelloggism. When he left the sanitarium to seek other roads to health, they had, he said, given him up to die. The next stop was mental healing. He studied Christian science with a Mrs. Elizabeth K. Gregory and began to eat like a horse. He also did postgraduate work under a local medium. By this time, Post had obviously put his confidence in other curative agencies than those of the sanitarium, but he still sensed unexplored commercial possibilities in the sanitarium health foods. He approached Dr. Kellogg with a proposal to work together in a program to promote Minute Brew. This was a health coffee about which Dr. Kellogg was currently enthusiastic. The doctor refused flatly to have anything to do with the idea. Great reading. Gosh, you're an amazing reader. (laughs) That is so interesting. Okay, so even though it sounds like Post didn't feel like he got anything from being at the sanitarium he still came back and approached Kellogg with a proposal to work together. Exactly. He's like, there is money in these products and I want to get a hold of them. So he tries to proposition Kellogg to go into business with him at this point and Kellogg ain't having it. Interesting. You know what? This is like starting to feel so current. I mean, I know we're back in 1891, but this idea of like seeing a lot of potential profit in health foods feels <laughs> feels very 2023 to me as well. As we go through this story, you're going to realize how prescient Post was, or maybe sadly how much he influenced the culture in what I would consider to be kind of negative ways from a an advertising perspective. But you'll see, Post was ahead of his time. Interesting. Okay, this is fascinating. So Post, at this point, he's checked out of the sanitarium. He's now feeling better, and he's starting to turn his attention to offering you know, Kellogg's ideas as commercial products. But I think also interestingly at this time, Post establishes his own medical boarding house in the area that he names La Vita Inn. And he kind of reinvents himself as a healer like a year and a half after arriving in Michigan. He's now a healer owning his own boarding house. And he's boasting about all the success his patients are having at La Vita Inn. So a really quick transition for this dude. I like that he set up shop right by Kellogg too. He was kind of like, screw you. I'm setting up my own wellness house right beside you. Yeah. And his treatments were really interesting. They're kind of based on the power of suggestion. Like, so someone would come in and be like, ah, my stomach hurts. And he'd be like, you are well. <laughs> and he'd be like, no, no, I'm not. And he'd be like, hold the thought of health in your mind. You are well. And they'd be like, I, I, maybe I am well. I, I don't know. So it was very suggestion based. Well, and I like how we have Kellogg having people drink bread crusts. And right next door, we have 
post who's like, just feel better. I mean, this just seems like so conducive to health. Totally. <laughs> he even pulls a pretty troll move where he comes back to the sanitarium and says to Kellogg, you know, I'm having so much success over at Levita Inn with these, these mind games that I'm doing. Would you want me to pray for your patients every week for a mere $50 a week? Oh, burn. Yeah. And Kellogg was like, literally get out of here forever. And have we also just identified the earliest example of trolling? Very possibly. I don't know. I would love to hear a history of trolling. Okay. So now we're four years after Post's arrival. We're in 1895. And, you know, he's obviously transformed so much and he sets up his own food company officially. And his first product that he sells is a coffee alternative made from bread crusts, bran, and molasses. What? Just like Kellogg's, and he calls his product Postum. Okay, so he just stole the idea completely. I mean, it sounds like it. And he also released a few other products that were a little too similar to products Kellogg had created. The first one was Grape Nuts. <gasps> you know what? Can I tell you something, Matt? Yeah. I actually like Grape Nuts. Me too. Do you? Totally. Do yes. you? I feel like it's like unpopular opinion, but I actually really like grape nuts and I usually they're so like crunchy. They're so crunchy and I definitely have to let them sit in the milk for like a good yep. 10 minutes before I can actually eat them. But I'm a grape nut fan. Yeah. Have you ever had grape nuts ice cream? Yes, I have actually. I've tried that before. It's not bad. It's very good. The other product post-released was called Elijah's Mana. And this was actually just cornflakes, which Kellogg had invented. And Post was asked to change the name because people thought it was sacrilegious. And so he changed the name to Post Toasties Cornflakes. Okay. Okay. So he's just literally taking everything from Kellogg. Yep. 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 Exactly. So I think the heart of why we're talking about this is Post's approach to advertising, specifically around Postum, which is his coffee alternative. The only way I can describe his advertising style is hyper aggressive. So aggressive. Okay. In what way? He took every possible opportunity to advertise Postum. And the way he did it was so different than what they were doing at the time. So he started running ads that were not only about promoting Postum, but also warning about the dangers of coffee. Mm. He ran ads in papers and magazines and pamphlets that were actually case reports of people who had supposedly lost their eyesight from drinking coffee. He warned about coffee causing brain fog and ulcers and brain tissue disintegration, rheumatism, fatigue, paralysis, even poverty. He came up with diagnoses like coffee heart and coffee neuralgia that could kill you at any moment. So he really positioned coffee as this horrible product and he had the solution for you, which was really different than people were doing with food at the time. There was kind of a history around offering treatments and, and medicines, you know, sort of snake oil medicines. But doing this style of advertising with food or drink really hadn't been done in this way. Well, and are any of the claims he was making founded in any kind of science or is this just him making this up to try to sell his own product? Oh, he's absolutely making all this up. Do you know what I find to be so interesting is that what you're describing, we actually still see it today with coffee alternatives. Like it's making me think of all of the like mushroom adaptogen coffee replacement beverages that we still see now. And all of those beverages are advertised as like 
don't drink coffee because it's so bad for you. Drink this instead. And this sounds like almost the earliest example of coffee being vilified and somebody offering an alternative beverage. Exactly. And before this, there really wasn't this, I mean, yes, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, there was sort of like a negative perception of certain foods and beverages, including coffee. But the general public was just like, oh yeah, this is a great drink. It gives give me a little pep in my step in the morning. Like people just liked coffee. And now, now there's this assault on coffee from a health perspective. So it kind of surprised people, I think. People were not expecting to hear these case reports of people losing their vision because of coffee. Well, and how did it impact people drinking coffee? Did people start to worry about their intake of coffee and then switch to uh, post-alternative? Yes, his propaganda totally worked. Within a few years, he was selling millions of dollars of postum. And that's in late 1800s money. The dude was getting rich selling postum to people. And, you know, the reason we're calling this the Coffee Wars episode is because Post literally ran ads that said coffee war, saying that big coffee was now coming after Postum. So a large newspaper ad from the time said, coffee war, the coffee importers and roasters are attacking Postum food, coffee all along the line. And there's a reason. Many people found out the truth about old fashioned coffee. They have overcome diseases caused by it. The Postum army grows by hundreds of thousands yearly. So he's really setting up a war of coffee versus postum, which was his unknown product until he kind of advertised his way into people's consciousness. Wow, so much fear-mongering. And again, this is just, this is a strategy that I feel like we still see today. It's the pitting of one product against another in order to sell one's own product. It's like, coffee is terrible. It's going to do all these terrible things. So have my beverage instead. And again, I feel like this is so relevant to like day-to-day life now. Totally. There's a quote I want you to read. It's a bit of a longer passage, again, from the Cornflake Crusades about Post's advertising style, but I think it really speaks to what you're talking about. So so if you could read this, please. Sure. It says, quote, Post was so adroit in the composition of his advertising copy, in inserting the limiting phrase, the incomplete comparative, the unobtrusive operative phrase, in suggesting a good deal more than he ever actually said, that the line grew indistinct between untruth and truth. Just whisper health, ruminated a student of post methods. That is the open sesame to the public's purse. Others have carried on from where Post laid down his burden. To him is owed a debt of gratitude from every cultist and dietary food lecturer. Is fish a brain food? Do fruit seeds cause appendicitis? Is it dangerous to eat ice cream and seafoods at the same meal? Are bananas hard to digest? Do eggs create a predisposition towards cancer? Does garlic purify the blood? All practitioners of diet mysticism who desire to attract attention by raising these or similar questions, all who feel the urge to do something quick about their health, are under obligation to the methods pioneered by C.W. Post. Joining the zeal of the reformer to the profit motive and adding a shrewd understanding of popular psychology, C.W. showed how it was possible to generate fads in eating, and thus a new form of social power was made available. Matt, this is a really, really fascinating quote to me for a bunch of reasons. I think that for me, what I see in here is at least part of the origin of 
the modern day food grift. It's this, you know, let's create some doubt. Let's insert some pseudoscience. Let's, you know, maybe push people towards concern, worry, anxiety, guilt, and then make them really question the food choice or the food choices that they're making. And then it's offering them a product to buy instead. It's guilty until proven innocent. And you can just throw claims out there as Post was doing about coffee. And then it's up to science to kind of disprove it. But we've talked about this in the past. It takes time for science to catch up, but you can really spread a story so much quicker than science. Well, I think the other thing that's super interesting about that quote is that last sentence where he talks about a new form of social power was made available. I mean, from what you're telling me, Matt, Post was all about the power of suggestion. And so it's almost like he took this power of suggestion and inserted it into advertising in a way that's still effective today and in a way that's still done today by so many different supplement companies and food manufacturers and, you know, diet gurus out there. And so it seems like this, you know, technique that he employed in the late 1800s is still really resonating in modern culture. Damn, you're smart. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Matt. (laughs) I didn't even think about that connection. That's awesome. No, that's such a great point, right? He took the power of suggestion, the I am well, which is the sort of positive form of it, and then inverted it and used it in paid advertising nationwide. And it totally worked and became an actual template for advertising to this day. Well, and he made a lot of money. I mean, that that part of the quote where it says, I mean, if you want to get people to open up their purses, make certain claims or at least advertise in a certain way. And man, does that still hold true as well? Yeah, totally. So I want to wrap up C.W. Post's personal story because he actually doesn't live very long after seeing the success of Postum and his other baby, Grape Nuts. So during the first decade of the 1900s, he actually seems to get a bit restless again, maybe a bit bored of the manufacturing, you know, the food manufacturing world. So he took some of his earnings. He moved to Texas where he founded Post City in 1907. And he tried to make this a sort of utopian community in Texas. It turned out to be more of a utopia for him because he was fiercely anti-labor. So it was not a great place to be. Okay. The city is still around though. It has a small population of less than 10,000 people. And I have to mention, during this time, Post went through a rainmaking phase of his life. Uh, explain, please. He shot explosives into the sky to try to make it rain. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, literally trying to make it rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had figuratively made it rain with, with Postum, and now he's literally trying to do it. I wonder if I'll go through a rainmaking phase of my life at some point. I just picture you dancing in a field. I don't <laughs> picture you <laughs> shooting explosives into the sky. Okay, so he goes through his rainmaking phase. It sounds like he's trying to start or develop a utopian-like community. And then, you know, when does he end up passing away? So it's 1914. He comes down with appendicitis while in California. He's rushed by train all the way to Minnesota to be operated on by the Mayo brothers. So William and Charles, who would go on to found the Mayo Clinic. And the surgery was considered successful. But Post said he still had abdominal pain and 
two months after the surgery, he was in a really bad way and he actually committed suicide. Oh, so he, he committed suicide because of the ongoing health problems he was having after the surgery? Yeah, it sounds like he had abdominal pain that really hung around for a while. Actually, there were stories of him having kind of lifelong abdominal pain that really vexed him. And I guess maybe he figured that the appendicitis treatment should have solved all that, but he still had this pain. And a couple months later, he did take his own life. And I hesitate to do this, but I'm going to have you read something, Jen. So this is from 1905. This is nine years before Post's passing. It says, quote, septic appendicitis is a general term for a disease condition of the bowels. It is a well-established fact around physicians and individuals who have made the experiment that when bowel disturbances are shown, a change in food must be made and that the famous pre-digested food grape nuts is the most perfect remedy. Oh, no. Yeah, that's an ad for grape nuts that Post ran himself nine years before his death. Oh, and no. So, Karma. God, this is the comeuppance part of the story. Oh. Right? Wow, that is really interesting. So he actually, he actually advertised and made this claim around grape nuts and then ended up suffering from the exact condition he had advertised about. Yeah, he, he said he had the, the cure for appendicitis. And then ultimately, it was really part of the reason for his own death. Wow. Wow. So, so he dies in 1914. But what happened to his empire and his company? I mean, he was making millions, right, in the late yep. 1800s. And I mean, clearly, the company is still around today. And so what has happened to the company since his death? Yeah, so after he passes, his daughter, Marjorie Merriweather Post, took over the Postum Company, which at the time was worth $20 million. And over the subsequent years, they would go on to just acquire a lot of other brands, Jell-O, Minute Tapioca, Log Cabin products like, like the syrup. And then they made a big move. In 1929, they acquired a little company called General Foods. Oh, the General Foods? Yep, yep. They become one. Post and General Foods become one after this acquisition. And I, I find it really interesting, too. In 1928, the Post Company acquires the Cheek Neal Coffee Company. So now, 14 years after Post's passing, the company is selling coffee themselves. Oh, okay. So they went back on their anti-coffee stance, it sounds like. Yeah, well, more, more so they, out of one side of their mouth, sold coffee, and then out of the other side, continued to market Postum the way they had traditionally done it. And I will say, too, that rumor has it, C.W. Post drank coffee this entire time. <laughs> like, I don't think he's rolling in his grave going, no, we're selling coffee. Uh, you know, according to what I read, he, he didn't stop drinking coffee at any point in the story. Oh, interesting. Well, and what had been done to the cultural thinking around coffee? I mean, it, was there a lot of collateral damage? I mean, it sounds like 14 years later, you have the Post company selling coffee. But I guess I'm just curious about what happened to the coffee industry during those first, what, 20 years of the 19th century? Yeah, I think it had a pretty profound impact on culture. But the thing is, it didn't stop. So they kept the crazy marketing scheme going. And they really just took Post's technique and ran with it. So there's so many examples I could give from even after he passed. So, you know, they ran print ads in national papers with full page spreads about the dangers of coffee. They, they came up with a comic strip in the Sunday paper that showed the evil Mr. Coffee <laughs> nerves. So this was like their, their 
cartoon character, Mr. Coffee Nerves. He was a sort of ghostly villain with like a handlebar mustache who appeared like the devil over people's shoulder to encourage them to do evil deeds and like led them astray or they lost their jobs or got kicked out of school because of Mr. Coffee Nerves. And the only thing that would foil him was if the characters switched to post them. <laughs> okay, but let me just make sure I'm not confused. The post company continued the anti-coffee propaganda while at the same time selling coffee? Am I getting that right? You are absolutely correct. That is exactly what we're saying here. Yeah, and they continued the postum propaganda just the way they had doing it before. No missteps. I mean, it was really aggressive, really all the way into the 60s. So, you know, I just want to hang in like the mid-1940s for a sec because postum sponsored radio programs, like radio stories that the whole country was listening to and inserting their message about coffee. So I actually found an old recording from a radio program in likely the mid-1940s. I don't have an exact date for this. So let's listen to this ad run during a radio program. Who's Mr. Coffee Nerves after now? Could it be your husband? (laughs) He couldn't sleep half the night. Now... Watch him insult those customers. Yes, Mr. Coffee Nerves can wreck business careers, turn success into failure. To protect your loved ones and yourself against his threats of sleeplessness, indigestion, nervousness, switch to Postum. Of America's three great mealtime drinks, coffee, tea, Postum, Postum alone contains no caffeine or other drug, nothing that can possibly keep you awake. Try the 30-day Postum health test. Buy instant Postum today, then serve your whole family Postum exclusively for 30 days. See if you don't feel healthier and happier by saying no to Mr. Coffee Nerves, no. Curses, foiled again by Postum. No, Mr. Coffee Nerves, no. (laughs) Foiled again by Postum. But it's just, I mean, what's amazing too is that then they're also just selling coffee. Like we have to remember (laughs) that they're making these advertisements and then like on the side they're like, but also you can buy our coffee as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, people don't really know the like company behind it. They just see Postum. It's a brand, right? But the brand is owned by a larger company that is also selling coffee. Yeah. And that was, I would say, a little tame in terms of like propaganda spreading. That was kind of focused on, you know, coffee's going to keep you up all night. And I think they, they kind of softened their message for the, the listening audience on radio, but they didn't with print ads. So, you know, through the 50s, there were magazine ads that were so weirdly specific. <laughs> there were like full page ads showing a father holding up his fist about to punch his children who were like looking up at him in fear. And Mr. Coffee Nerves is there saying, ha ha, yes, you've gotten so mean. No wonder you're driving them away. Wow. Wow. There's no holding back in terms of advertising. Yeah. I mean, implying you're going to beat your kids if you drink coffee. Like it was always so aggressive in the print ads and they run some ads in the sixties as well. But finally, finally Postum's hold on the country starts to fade and it becomes a bit of a joke about like an old timey drink at this point, like Postum, you know, in the seventies, the eighties, we're not really hearing about Postum and they're not advertising the way they once did. Well, and now that we're getting close to the end of the episode, I'm really starting to understand, Matt, 
why it was important for us to go back through the history. It sounds like there has been an anti-coffee stance for a really long time. And my guess, I mean, I guess I'm guessing ahead here, is that next time in part two, we're going to be talking about how that anti-coffee stance really continued into modern times and has maybe impacted health claims, especially maybe the false health claims about coffee and drinking coffee. And think about it, as we started to do modern day scientific research, this was people's perception. I mean, there was bias already baked into the culture because of these advertising efforts and because of CW Post, right? And so we kind of need to know this story. Yeah, well, I also think we have to understand just how intense and extreme the advertising around coffee was throughout the late 1800s and the 1900s, because it, like you said, it sounds like it's really going to inform how people are researching coffee and the claims that they're going to make around coffee. Yes, exactly. So now I feel kind of free, now that we've done this story, to talk about modern health claims about coffee. You know, what are we actually talking about today? A lot of these claims that Post brought up, you know, they're not on our radar, thankfully. No one's worried about coffee heart at this point, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we are seeing videos online of people yelling about coffee leaching magnesium from your bones or messing up your cortisol levels. You know, we've gotten into the the 2023 version of this. And so, you know, we're going to talk about that next time. Well, it sounds like we're going to get into the 2023 version of Mr. Coffee Nerves. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Although this one might come out in 2024 and this will sound old timey also. I don't know. (laughs) You know what? Actually, um, this is a one random last question that just popped into my mind, which is that I, I don't think I've ever seen the Postum alternative coffee drink. So what happened? At what point did Postum like no longer become available anymore? (laughs) You don't realize how much you just set me up, Jen. So Postum was actually discontinued in 2007. But in 2013, a little company called Eliza Quest Foods was able to take the name and recreate Postum. So Jen, I have in front of me a warm mug of Postum. (laughs) Oh no, Matt, don't do it. Prepared according to package directions. I've yet to taste this. So I've been keeping it warm in my little Yeti mug here. So are you ready for a a review of Postum? I'm I'm ready for a review. I'm so glad it's you and not me. All right. How is it? It's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Nutrition for Mortals is a production of Oceanside Nutrition, a real-life nutrition counseling practice in beautiful Newburyport, Massachusetts, where we provide individual nutrition counseling both in-person and online via telehealth. Feel free to learn more about our practice at OceansideNutrition.com. If you want to send in a show idea, you can email us at nutritionformortals at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at nutritionformortals. If you're digging the show, tell a friend. Maybe give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.